Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revs on their sixth game against Philadelphia finally slayed the beast. They go down to Chester, Pennsylvania, down I-95, and come away with a 2-0 victory when it mattered most in the MLS Cup playoffs. Uh, Adam Buxa scored off of a header early in the game, and Tayon Buchanan, a few minutes later, tallied the second goal of the game for the Revs, which ended up being the final scoreline, 2-0. The Revs have their best performance of the year against Philadelphia, maybe the best performance of the year in general when it mattered most. And they are moving on to the third round of the MLS, the MLS Cup playoffs against Orlando later this weekend. I am Greg Johnstone. Joining me today for the second time ever on Revolution Recap, Chris Velukas is back. Chris, how's it going? Fantastic. Not much I can say more than that. Just fantastic, man. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, and we you committed to this last week, and so uh, you know this was not necessarily a uh, happy going to be a happy podcast, but it certainly turned out to be one. So um, I'm glad we're getting you know you on for such a happy occasion. And also joining me today, Sean Sean Donahue is back as always. Sean, how are you this evening? Yeah, I don't I don't think any of us were expecting to see the Revolution not only win this game but win it in a pretty convincing fashion. Uh, <laughs> I think I think we we're all preparing for a. Uh, end of season podcast potentially um and instead we got a, a very exciting result from the revolution and I, I would go as far as to say it was their best performance of the season and i i'm looking right now at a, a stat tweeted out by by alexi who i i'm i'm gonna take his word for this because i'm not gonna do the, the math myself but the the last three times a supporter shield winner lost in the first round the team that beat them went on to win the mls cup um, it was Seattle in 2016 beating FC Dallas, LA in 2012 um, beating San Jose, and Salt Lake in 2009 beating Columbus. So uh, that's a good omen for the Revs. Yeah, and uh, I know Tom Quinlan had a stat too that this is the first time the Revs have won back-to-back playoff games since 2014. And I added on this is the first road playoff win for the Revs since 2014, which certainly was a very, very good year for the Revs. And so, um, you know, if you believe in a team of destiny, I, I mean, you. <laughs> The last two games certainly have you feeling excited. So, Sean, I'll start with you. What was your key takeaway from tonight's 2 nothing win? You know, for the first time all season, I think the Revolution and Bruce Arena have found uh, what actually is their best starting lineup um, and what we saw out there. And, yes, that even includes Tejan Buchanan at right back. Um, you know, it's it's only the second game he's played there. But if you if you go back and think about how Brandon Bay played with Carlos Heel in years past when Brandon Bay was a starting right back, Brandon Bay spent most, if not you know the, the majority of his time, I would say, pressing forward and, and almost leaving it as a back three because he was he was forward so much. Um, and you know people talk about it as improved defense, but when he was playing alongside Carlos Heel, he was the width and he was stuck forward a lot and he was absent a lot of times on defense. Um, so when you kind of look at that same role for Tejan Buchanan, the ability to push forward. Uh, and provide the, the you know the width on the right. He provides a lot more offensively than Brandon Bay does, and and playing sort of that same role as Brandon Bay, um, I think gives a lot to the Revolution offense. Certainly, we saw it on that goal, and I think we saw it throughout the night. Uh, and on top of that, you know there were a few people before the game I saw on Twitter questioning the fact that Scott Caldwell was back in the starting lineup. To me, it made a, a ton of sense for Scott Caldwell to go in again for Tommy McNamara. Um, if you're playing a team like Montreal, that the Revolution are expected to you know be on top of and take the initiative. Uh, you know, maybe it makes more sense to put in a guy like Tommy McNamara that might add a little bit of a different flavor on offense. Or even if you were going to go crazy, put in, put in even Lee Wynn, as I heard someone suggest. Uh, but when you're playing a team like Philadelphia, that, you know, supporter shield winner, best team in the league, it made a lot, lot of sense to me defensively to put Scott Caldwell out there um, and, and be a little bit more solid defensively. And I think it was, it was Seth that mentioned this, but I had the, you know, Seth Makehomber from the Bet Musket, but I had the same thought. Um, you know, when you look back at Chris Tierney, and the type of player he was and how successful he was as a left back for the revolution. You know, one of the things I always like to point out was the reason part of the reason he was so successful was because Scott Caldwell was so capable of filling in back there when he pushed forward and covering for him. And I think, you know, with a guy like Chris Tierney, he had to do it even more because Buchanan's capable of you know, using his pace to get back and cover a lot of ground. Chris Tierney was a bit of a slower player. Um, but that's another reason why, to me, this lineup made perfect sense. You had Scott Caldwell, who could, you know, go back and cover for Buchanan. You had Polster, who could also cover for Buchanan. You know, both of them could cover for Jones as well. Um, everything about this lineup, you know, plays on the strengths of the Revolution's best players. And it, 
it just worked out perfectly against Philadelphia. And I don't think it's just a Philadelphia thing. I think this is the lineup the Revolution have to use going forward in the playoffs. I think they found the winning combination. Every, you know, I don't think anyone necessarily had a bad game in this one. You know, Bo was maybe a bit more quiet than usual. Bunbury, um, another kind of quiet night. But this is the winning formula for the Revolution. Uh, it's taken them all season to figure it out, but they finally found it. Um, and, you know, Scott Caldwell is part of that winning formula. Matt Polster is part of that winning formula. Uh, everything about the way this lineup worked, uh, I think, is what the Revolution needs to do going forward to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I will say, too, I'm going to kind of f- have a quick follow-up question there for you, Sean. I mean, I know you mentioned Tayon Buchanan at right back, and you like what you see from him as well. And, and I, don't, I don't have a lot to add in terms of the midfield or, or the lineup, because as I say, I think this is the winning combination. I think Bruce has figured it out uh, at the right time. But one person I want to ask you about is Dewan Jones. Dewan Jones certainly got an earful tonight from Bruce Arena. Uh, anyone that had their, their volume up on their televisions uh, certainly know Bruce Arena uh, was giving Dewan Jones a, a hard time a little bit. Do you think Alexander Butner, when he returns back uh, from and, and is fully recovered from uh, COVID-19. Do you think he steps into that left back role or do you think the revs still stick with Dewan Jones? Cause he had some sloppy moments at times, but there are some other times where he, he certainly seemed to uh, hold his own. Yeah. I mean, Dewan Jones again was, was second on the team in touches with 70 touches. I think he did have, you know, some moments where he maybe wasn't at his best, but he was still heavily involved in this game. 79% passing accuracy, led the team with five tackles, you know, three clearances, two block shots. Um, I, I think he's still the answer back there. I think, you know, we're assuming Bootner is probably the one that's been out with COVID. Um, you know, who knows when he's going to be back. Um, but even when he is back, I think Dewan Jones's pace adds a different dimension for the revolution, both offensively and defensively. Uh, and I think he's the the solution for the revolution back there, even when Bootner's back. Um, it's, it's, it's working well with the revolution to have right now with two really pacey fullbacks. And, you know, Dewan Jones continues to improve every game. Uh, you know, there were some moments tonight where that were difficult for him, but they were playing against a very difficult team, uh, particularly in the second half when Ilicino came on. He was, you know, very dangerous. And again, you know, credit to Scott Caldwell. I thought he had a couple of very savvy veteran plays against him. Um, but no, I think I think Dewan Jones over Bootner makes sense going forward. Uh, it's worked. It's worked well for the Revolutions this season. And his, his pace, um, you know, going against good teams is, is, is really dangerous on both sides of the ball. Absolutely agree. Chris, let me bring you in here. Uh, what was your big takeaway from tonight's uh, earth shattering win? First off, I, I don't know how I'm going to follow up that awesome take that Seth had. I, it, his thoughts are so much more composed than mine, so I'm going to just try my best here. And his name's Sean, by the way, but yeah. <laughs> I, I I did have a beer during the game, so I apologize for mixing up names. Sean. I'm I'm a, I'm a few in, by the way. Our listeners, I'm sure, will know that uh, I'm a few in, and I'm I'm very happy. I, I'm I'm a little drunk and also very happy drunk. So I hesitated from having too many tonight. So hey, Seth has some great takes too. So it's it's fair. Seth does have great takes. Anyways, to elaborate, uh, I was going to talk about. Uh, Gustavo Bo, uh, you know, you mentioned it, Sean, briefly that he didn't have the best of games. And I really think it, the fact that he his game tonight was, you know, somewhat poor, we still prevailed and very dominantly. And it was really surprising and eye opening to me to be able to see that sort of performance from our team without a player such as Gustavo Bo, where normally he is dominating uh, the attacking midfield area. Um uh, he is coming in with a lot more, with a much bigger presence. And we didn't see that from him tonight. Uh, and we still dominated a very strong Philadelphia team. Um, so that's that was my big takeaway was, see, despite the fact that we don't have our, our biggest playmaker, um, and some might say Carlos Hill is our biggest playmaker, and by the numbers he probably is, but I think Gustavo Bo might make more of a physical impression on the field. Um, so without him performing to what we expect, we still pretty much bossed the whole game. And that was really impressive to me. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And it kind of goes back. Well, it brings me back to you know what we discussed in the last show, which is the question about Carles Hill's contract. And I think you could see from this game again, that Carles Hill is the revolution's most important player. Um, you know, with the four key passes, the two assists, you know, assisted both goals. Um, Gustavo Bo had a quiet game, but it didn't matter because Carles Hill was, was so dominant. Um, and this match throughout and creating chances when the revolution have a hundred percent healthy Carles heel, which I, you know, he looks pretty close to a hundred percent right now, which he hasn't up until this point or up until the playoffs, uh, they're a completely different team. And it's, it's 
clear to me that he is the most important player on this Revolution team. Uh, you can also make a case for Matt Turner, uh, but the most important field player is, is, is Carlos Hill, and the Revolution have to find a way to keep him long-term. Um, you know, Gustavo Bo, there's been rumors about him going back to Argentina or going to Mexico in the future. Um, you know, they, they proved tonight that even if Gustavo Bo isn't at his best, when, when Carlos Hill is at his best, they don't necessarily need Gustavo Bo to be at his best. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really want to talk about uh, RDP's leaving tonight as a happy night. So uh, I'm going <laughs> to ignore that last little bit there. But I do want to talk about Gustavo Bo, who did come off. It, he came off in the 77th minute. Uh, he only had 39 touches on the night, uh, which which seems a little bit low. But he wasn't involved in, in either goal, um, really. Uh, he had four shots, uh, one of them on target. One of them, or two of them were blocked, sorry, one off target. One of them was blocked. That might have been his best chance where it was very, very early in the game, just kind of trickled wide uh, when... Um, uh, when Andre Blake uh, kind of dove to his right, the ball kind of trickled to his left, but it r- rolled out of bounds for a corner. Uh, passing on the night, 65%. He was 17 for 26. In the attacking third, he was 8 for 15. Um, one ball recovery, one time dispossessed. Um, so not a very active night for Gustavo Bo, as you guys said. And, you know, he is a bit of a wild card where, you know, if you get him the ball, as we saw on Friday against Montreal, you know, if he's within 30 yards, he can score from anywhere. And, um Tonight, they didn't need that weapon, and they still were able to really control this game from start to finish. And it was just a very, very impressive showing uh, by the Revolution. And I feel like all season long, we've been saying, you know, when we get all three DPs in the preseason, we said, when we get all three of these guys out there, they're going to be lights out. And then Heel got hurt. And then, he, you know, we had the MLS's back tournament. And just all year, we've been struggling to find this identity to see if these three guys can live up to their potential. And it seems like it all came together um, at the perfect time. So, um, one person that I uh, we got to talk about Adam Buxa scored in his fourth goal in his uh, last eight games obviously set the tone for the night on that header we talked last week about how he doesn't really shoot with his feet uh, but he's really deadly from headers he hit the woodwork twice last week scored the opening goal here um, Chris you got to sign Buxa jersey behind you let me hear your Buxa take uh, you know are you are you basking in this glory I mean he's vindicated right I mean this looks like a designated player doesn't he yeah I'd, I'd say he's vindicated to some degree uh, I still wouldn't say tonight was his best match. Uh, he did score the goal, so it's very nice to see him get on the score sheet. And, you know, as uh, a Buxa stan, I am so happy to see him putting up numbers on the goal sheet, uh, on the in the goal column, and especially using his head, because that's one of the things that we thought that he was really going to add to this team when he first came here. We saw the size uh, and the physicality that he brought. And we knew that as a hold-up striker, you know, that's that's where his focus is going to be. And a lot of his headers, I would say, have been underwhelming this season. And then uh, against Montreal, he had two really good shots. Uh, but like you said, with his head, um, and both were saved, pushed off the post. And then tonight he had uh, an excellent header that that broke open the scoring of the game. And like I said, I don't think it was his, his best night tonight. Um by any means, he definitely struggled a little bit with con- with controlling possession in the attack. But he got his goal. He did what he needs to do, and he is definitely found. And I think it's starting to pay dividends. Yeah, I think tonight was one of his, you know, maybe not his best performance, but I think he he added a lot to the Revolution offense. And even before that goal, uh, one play that stood out again with his head. Um, I think it was Dewan Jones, I might be wrong on that, who sent it across that was you know, probably too long, went went past the far post, and, and Buxa tracked it down, got the header, headed it back right to tail Bunbury. Um, Bunbury, unfortunately for him, didn't have the, the best of touches, but he had an onrushing Carles heel. Um, and if, if Bunbury had you know, directed that into the path of Carles heel, I think the revolution would have been up one nothing in the 21st minute even sooner. Um, but uh, that was just one play that kind of stood out to me early on with, where Buxa you know, fought to win that ball. Um, and created a good chance for the revolution had, you know, Bunbury handled a bit better. Um, you know, if I'm picking out guys that maybe didn't have the best of games, I think Bunbury didn't have his best game um, in a revolution uniform. He was a bit quiet and that was one play he probably could have done a little bit better with. But, um, you know, I, I thought Buxa, despite the fact that his passing, uh, his passing numbers weren't great, he finished with 59% passing, um, contributed a lot to the revolution offense. And it's nice to see that they finally found a way to make that work. And they finally found you know, connection between Carles Heel and Adam Buxa, and Buxa seems to be getting more confident. Uh, I talked about his, you know, decisiveness being a bit of an issue during the the last podcast. Um, I didn't see that as much of an issue today, um, and I th- I thought he, you know, again has cemented his spot in the starting lineup for for at least these playoffs. Yeah, uh, Adam Buxa really coming through uh, when it matters most, and you know, 
uh, Carlos Hill with two assists, his first two career postseason assists today. Um, you know, he, he led the team in goals, I think, when he first came over to the Revs, and it's he is such a playmaker. I mean, he really does make Estababo and Adam Books a lot better. And I think Adam Books, we're going to see a lot of growth from him when he gets a full season of Carles Heel. Uh, let's move around the pitch uh, a little bit. Let's go to the midfield. Sean, I want to come to you here for a second because we talked about the McNamara Polster um, defensive pairing last game. Uh, on our podcast last week, we talked about what to do at right back. We speculated Matt, maybe Matt Polster moves to right back, and we see Scott Caldwell and Tommy McNamara. We didn't really get that look. We got Tay on at right back, which, again, you, you kind of alluded to it. You really like him. But I want to talk about the polster Caldwell pairing because I think this is it. I think this is the two guys you need there in the middle of the field. I think it worked out really, really well. Caldwell does a really nice job of dropping back in possession. He drew a couple of fouls. Um, I, I think I know you tweeted out his passing chart of 24 through for 26 late in the game. Um, I don't know what the updated stats were, but he did a great job in possession. Polster did a really nice job as well. Give me your thoughts on the uh, defensive midfield tonight. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen it much this season, but it was great to finally see those two guys out there. I think that's the Revolution's, you know, with with Luis Caicedo out with that caveat, I think that's the Revolution's best defensive pairing in midfield. Um, You know, it's, again, we've seen at times when the Revolution have tried to play a more offensive defensive midfield pairing, it, it, it hurts them. Um, on, on that side of the ball. And when you're in a must, must win playoff game, um, you know, I think that's what you have to go with. Those two guys are your most solid pairing defensively. Both of them are capable of covering for fullbacks when they get forward. And you know, when, when Dewan Jones and Tejan Buchanan are your fullbacks, they're going to get forward a lot. Um, so it makes a whole lot of sense to me um, to play those two guys together. And I think that has to be the pairing going forward. I know it's not the most glamorous or most flashy pairing. Um, you know, some people would like to see Lee Wynn out there as a, as a number eight. I, I just don't think their lineup is built defensively to you know maintain a system like that. And I, I trust Scott Caldwell uh, more than I trust Tommy McNamara when when the the key is being solid defensively. Um, and I think it's quite clear that the Revolution, you know, from this game, I think it's quite clear that the Revolution have enough offensive pieces on the field um, where they can afford to have a you know maybe a more defensive-minded Scott Caldwell. Of course, with that said, I think Scott Caldwell had some nice passes in the offensive third, too. Um, you know, he set up Carly's heel for a pretty dangerous play down the right flank at one point, right at the end of the first half. Uh, you know, really good, smart pass from Scott Caldwell. So, you know, he was a guy... You know, we talked about it before, but he was a guy that played as an attacking midfielder in college. Uh, we think of him now as this defensive player because he's, you know, that's what he's been for the Revolution. But he's capable of playing a good pass in the offensive third, and, and we saw that a few times tonight. Uh, he does that just enough to be dangerous, and he's you know, a very solid player defensively. Um, and I think the pairing of him and Matt Polster has a lot of potential going forward for for these playoffs. Um, and it's a shame that there wasn't more of a chance to see that during the regular season. I would add that the only thing that worries me about that tandem is the fact that they can get beat over the top a little bit. Uh, both Polster and Caldwell lack uh, speed, specifically Caldwell, and that can leave the back line exposed a little bit. But other than that, yeah, I have to agree. This is, you know, you got the Caldwell brains out there. Uh, you know, he sees the game and understands the game and knows what play to make, um, I'd say, faster and probably better than most players. Um, while his technical ability is not necessarily as good as a lot of other players, uh, he is fantastic at the fundamentals uh he plays the right pass and then like you said he is also pretty good at uh making those advancing passes into the attack sometimes as well yeah he's almost like the reverse dewan jones where dewan jones will kind of make some mistakes defensively or get beat but his freakish athleticism can uh you know catch up to defenders and, and kind of slow down a counterattack. whereas scott caldwell you know he doesn't have the athletic ability he really relies on kind of the uh mental attributes and, and reading the game um and and building off your point, Chris, the not the one chance from Philadelphia early uh, in the game, but very very early in the game, the first chance of the game in the fourth minute, I think it's Scott Caldwell that gets beat down the right mm-hmm. side by Aronson. Aronson kind of sends a sloppy ball across, and Montero skies it over the bar. Um, you know that that's an example of Scott Caldwell has to kind of cut in uh, and and cover that uh, fill in that space for Dewan Jones when he pushes up. And you know if that ga- if that ball goes in, this is a completely different game, and this is a completely different podcast. If Philadelphia scores first in this game, you know I- I'm not sure if the Revs are you know, if there, there's as open a game, I don't know if the revs dominate the rest of that first half in the way that they did. But um, outside of that one kind of mistake about Scott Caldwell, the rest of it's all good. Uh, updated stats, 28 for 30 passing. That's 93%. He was 15 for 17 in the middle third, six for six in the attacking third. He had five ball recoveries. He was not dispossessed in this game. He had two tackles, one interception, one block, two clearances, um, and then three fouls suffered. So all in all, Scott Caldwell's number gets gets called. The only change in the lineup uh, and, and had a phenomenal game, in my opinion. 
let's get some Twitter questions. Are you guys ready? We have a bit of a hodgepodge, and they're a little unorganized tonight, uh, but we'll we'll hop right into this and, and kind of go through um, these questions here. Well, let's start out with Brian Campler, a loyal listener. Uh, he has some thoughts here. He says, first three postseason goals this year scored by each of the three designated players, which is what they're there for. Uh, as someone who questioned how good Farrell can be as a center back, I thought he was terrific tonight. Uh, and Heal is so good, even though we know how good he is, he still surprises us with some sublime performances. Uh, and a beautiful chip pass. We haven't mentioned that chip pass that hit off the crossbar there. Um, that almost sent me into a frenzy and that really was a shame that that was not finished off or went in but man that would have been uh, that would have been the number one goal of the, the the night or number one play of the night on sports center if that went in um let's talk about the back line a little bit uh, uh chris i'll go to you first brian mentions Farrell. um i thought kessler had a phenomenal game tonight it seemed like anytime fester uh, uh kessler was challenged uh he he really extinguished the attack um what's your confidence level in these center backs it's pretty high, uh, and I, I agree with the with the Kessler comment. Not only did he was he up to the challenge every time that he was asked of it, I saw him a couple of times even you know breaking the line to come up and stop an attack before it turned into anything before you know the defense was needed. Granted, Philly had a really bad night when it comes to connecting any passes, but that doesn't take away from how good of a performance uh, our defense put in, and a lot of that is going straight to Henry Kessler and. He had uh, another fantastic performance, absolute, you know, defender of the year for the team, the club defender of the year performance. And then to Brian's point, I'll say that Farrell also had a a very good game. I'm a very big Andrew Farrell supporter. Uh, I think that he is such a good asset to this team and he can get beat is one of the, his biggest issues is that he can make a big mistake and it can usually turn into a goal. And that didn't happen tonight. And, you know, he was very sound. So uh, a lot of credit to Andrew Farrell. Uh, he showed off his pace a couple of times. And yeah, a solid performance. You know, this defense has really, really shown it all all year long, um, a resolute defense. And uh, they're continuing it right now through into the playoffs against the best team in the league. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of guys that deserve a lot of credit on the defense for this game. Um, Kessler stood out to me as, as having a really great game and should mention he had three block shots. Um, so you know, a lot of good things from three block shots leads the team, four interceptions led the team, um, three total tackles, uh, second on the team behind Dewan Jones. So I, I thought he had a phenomenal performance. I thought, you know, Andrew Farrell uh, had a good game as well. Um, Tejan Buchanan, I mentioned earlier, you know, he did a lot offensively and also got back defensively. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention about Tejan Buchanan, as I pointed out at halftime, he was struggling passing a bit. Um, he finished the first half seven for 12, um, but he really improved in the second half in that category, you know, increasing his passing in the second half. He was he was 10 for 13. Um, so, you know, much better numbers from him in the second half. Um, and Dewan Jones, I thought, you know, d- despite you know some shakiness, he led the team in tackles with five. He had two block shots himself. Um, and I thought he overall had a, had a pretty good game, um, you know, and <laughs> I got to give some credit to Michael Mancien, who came on uh, late in the game. I've I've never been a fan of bringing on. Um, you know, a, a defender late in the game to try to close out the games. I think that often leads to more mistakes and problems than it's worth because, you know, the, the revolution, I imagine, don't spend a lot of time training and practice with three center backs. Um, so, to, you know, throw it out there. I think you're you're potentially leading to some confusion. Um, and especially with Michael Mancian, who we've, we've seen can be error prone. Um, but I thought he did a good job in limited minutes and was you know heavily involved late in the game. He blocked a shot. He won an aerial duel. Um, and he was, you know, getting very mixed involved in the mix late. So that, you know, I questioned that sub and I think it worked out really well. Um, so, you know, all, all five of the guys that played a part in the back line of this game, I think deserve a lot of credit. Um, with that said, the, the one worrying part of this game, um, was again, they, the set piece defending, um, there was that one set piece in the second half where I think three guys got wide open, um, on a, on a dangerous cross. And I think the revolution were very lucky. They didn't concede a goal there. The header ended up being right into Matt Turner's hands. Um, but if there is one knock on, you know, the overall team defense, the, the set piece defending is still a big worry. Um, and I think it's still something that the revolution need to figure out a way to clean up uh, again as they advance into the later rounds. Yeah, and uh, coach of the year, Jim Curtin, played a short corner late in the game, which I thought was absolutely crazy. I think you swing a ball into to the box. I mean, you have a decent chance of it going in. You just need, you know, someone to find a head to it. So, um, but, but yeah, absolutely good call on that set piece. That was an absolute disaster. And uh, again, if it's not straight at Matt Turner, you know, this might be a very different podcast um, all in all. So 
Uh, we did get a question from Mike Kennedy. Uh, will Tayon be the new starting right back even when Brandon Bay gets healthy, or was this a lightning in a bottle playoffs wrinkle from Bruce? Sean, I'll go to you first because you kind of mentioned this uh, a little bit earlier. Um, is Tayon Buchanan the right back from here on in? You know, I think if if these if the lineup stays as it is, if I mean if everyone on this team stays as it is for the playoffs, I say yes. I think Tejon Buchanan is the right back for the rest of the playoffs. Um, whether or not he is next year it depends a lot on on how the roster changes in the offseason. I, I think he's a, a fantastic right winger. We've seen that this season. Um, but as the roster is composed right now, I think he and the way this team is playing, you know, it makes a lot of sense to keep him right back for the reasons I said. Again, with, with Carles Heel. Um, you know, the way Carlos Hill played with Brandon by, it was Brandon by pushing forward and providing a lot of width on the right. Um, and I think they need that at Tejon Buchanan as well. And I think with Tejon Buchanan, you get a lot better offensively than you do with Brandon by. And I think he's adequate enough defensively. And especially when you have Scott Caldwell in there to back him up. Um, I think that's, you know, that gives the revolution the best chance to win. Do I think right back is Tejon Buchanan's best position? No. Um, but with the way the Revolution are playing right now and the style they're playing, that's where they need him, and that's what's best for the team. So I, I see him as the right back going forward in these playoffs. Um, I think there's a lot up in the air as far as you know the roster next season. Um, so I, I wouldn't go as far as to say he's the you know the long-term right back of the future. But if this is the formation they're playing, um, and you know Carlos Hill is playing the role he's playing, I think it makes sense for Tejan Buchanan to be that right back. Chris, let me cut in real quick because we did get another question that you kind of touched on. But uh, Revolution Report, Revolution Report asked us, "What do you think Tayon's long-term position is?" I'm still inclined to say right wing, right mid, rather than right back. And Sean, it seems like you agree with that take that long-term you still want to develop him as a winger. I th- I think so. Yes, and he's you know very young, and I think that's a, a fantastic. He's done a fantastic job as a right winger when he's had the opportunity to play there. Um, I just think that given his skill set and given the way the Revolution play right now. He's their best option at right back. Okay, Chris, I'll go to you real quick. Is uh, Tay on the right back for the rest of the playoffs? And where do you develop him long term? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty much on the same boat. He's definitely going to be the right back, I think, for the rest of the playoffs. I don't see a better option. Long term, yeah, I mean, I'd love to see him focus more on attacking. I don't want him to to be in a defensive role. And, you know, that's not necessarily where he thrives, although he is thriving in it right now. The one thing that um, that I think you need to think about with him is he's a player you want to have on the on the pitch. And if you don't have an available spot to put him, uh, is he going to take Teal's spot? Maybe I don't know, but he's not going to, he's not going to start over a Gustavo bow and he's not going to start over a Carly's heel and, and all, you know, the DP players is they have their spots, but you still want to put Tejan in where you're going to put him. I think right back suits him. And unless you're playing a team that you really need that defensive solidarity at right back, Go right ahead, play him there. I have no problem with that, and I would love to see him develop more uh, in that role. Yeah, and you mentioned the DP is another guy that we talked about last week that um, I think has is on the path for getting more minutes in 2021 is Justin Rennicks. Uh So there's certainly a lot of weapons up front. You have the three DPs. You have Teal Bunbury, who just signed an extension, and you have Justin Rennix. So, I mean, if this Tayon experience... Go, experiment goes well um you know I, I agree with sean that i think long term you want him as a winger he causes a lot of havoc but an attacking right back might be you know where they they have to put him uh, or at least in games where they have the upper hand offensively so uh, we'll we'll see over time for a minute i thought you were going to say justin Renix was supposed to be a dp oh no 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 not yet not yet no he's <laughs> on that supplemental uh, roster he doesn't even count against the cap yet no 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 yeah. uh, Re- revolution report also asks, says uh, what a game he is so good Tayon is a baller books have performed in a big game arena masterclass so yeah i, I think we've kind of hit all of those uh already uh, we did have a couple of questions about Tayon on discord uh how godly is Tayon and why and why doesn't he deserve a lifetime contract and then we also got another question why is Tayon such a philly destroyer uh, and I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say a lifetime contract just yet. The Revs are just getting out of a lifetime contract. It seems like with Diego Fagundes. So I don't know if we want to hand out another one of those, but, uh, I, I, w- I do think that one thing we need to do is, uh, call Tay on the dupe killer. Uh, cause, uh, he certainly shows up against the Philadelphia union. Um, you guys have anything to add on those questions? 
No, I, I just Tejan, you know, again, just a phenomenal performance from him. And uh, one thing I wanted to point out that I, we haven't mentioned yet is, you know, in the 60th, about the 60th minute, he was up there. The revolution were attacking. He was out there standing on the sidelines with his hands on his knees. And I thought he was done. I thought he was completely out of gas. Um, and I think he was hustling us because after that, we saw him, you know, in the 90th minute, I think, make a full field, run up the field and and get uh, clattered by two defenders. So uh, he seems to be full of energy. And I, I guess, you know, being 21 probably helps with that. But, uh, you know, I, I really thought he was done in the 60th minute and that the revolution were in trouble because they had no one to replace him with. Um, and, but to see him still have that energy to, to you know, to, to sprint up the field late in the game uh, w- w- was something. I, I want to see some more backhand spring backflips from him, too. <laughs> maybe maybe he would have conserved more energy if he didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. And one thing I'll mention, too, is that, you know, we had two converted wingers at outside back. They went the full game. Seth Sinovic still does not make an appearance. So building off of a topic we talked about last game of how far down Seth Sinovic is, even trying to hold a two-goal lead, uh, the Revs burned a sub. The Revs had one unused sub. Uh, with Sesanovic on the bench, and they decided to keep Dewan Jones, who was getting an earful all the game from Bruce, and Tayon Buchanan, who has played two games at right back. Uh, they kept him in their spot. So I thought that was kind of interesting and, and, and very, very telling on um, the faith in Sesanovic. So uh, Randy LH asks us, uh, how many goals are we going to score when we win the cup this year? Uh, so I think they got what, at most three games left. So let's say two each. So I'd say six. I think that's the math, how that builds out. Uh, truthfully, I haven't looked at the schedule beyond this game because I wasn't too optimistic and I didn't want to get ahead of myself. So I'm going to say six, uh, with five Carly's heel assists. And, um, he also says also, what should our game plan be against Orlando? Haven't watched them much this year. What should we be concerned about or prepared for? Um, I don't have, I don't have any idea how to answer this question. So I'm just going to throw Sean into the fire and see if he can answer it. Sean. What should they do against Orlando? Well, I mean, first of all, I'm very curious to to see the results of the current appeal they have on their starting goalkeeper's uh, red card. Who, you know, if you if you didn't see the insane game this weekend uh, that went to a shootout for Orlando, um, where uh, it was it was absolute madness, where their goalkeeper who had gotten a yellow card, I, I believe, for time wasting or something, and in overtime got a second yellow card because he stepped off their line. He stepped off his line during the shootout. Um, it was it was absolutely insane. If you haven't watched the highlights from that one, I recommend it. It's one of the most insane MLS games I've ever seen. The shootout took 22 minutes because the referee had no idea what he was doing. Um, at one point, he was allowing them to sub their goalkeeper, even though they already used five subs um, in, in stoppage time after um, Pedro Gallegos was ejected. Uh, and then they had to go back and undo that. And then a field player had to come in a goal. Um, you know, if there's if there's one thing, this Orlando team is going to be on a high, but it also is probably going to be... Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they react to playing a ridiculously long game. Um, and it's also, and it's going to be very interesting if they're missing Pedro Gallus, who had a very good game um, due to the red card. I know they're appealing it. I don't know what their chances are of winning it. That would be a huge boost for the Revs if he's out of the game. Um, and they got another red card in the game, Ruan, who's, who seemed to want to get a red card with the way he was playing, got a, got a yellow card followed by a straight red card um, out as well. So, you know, they'll be a little bit shorthanded against the Revolution. Um, but they've been one of the surprises in MLS this season. They've been, a, you know, overall a very good team. They really looked good at the MLS SPAC tournament. Um, and, you know, they've been one of the pleasant surprises overall. Um, one of the top scoring teams in the Eastern Conference, second after Philadelphia with 40 goals. Um, they're they're going to be a tough team. Um, but, you know, if you ask me what the Revolution need to do to beat Orlando, I think they need to play the same way they played against Philadelphia. Um, I think if the Revolution go out with that same lineup and go out with that same intensity, uh, they can kind of impose their will against Orlando in a way that they maybe couldn't against Philadelphia, which isn't to say Orlando is not a very good de- team that's going to you know, cause the Revolution a lot of problems. But um, I don't think the Revolution should change anything lineup wise um, from what they did against Philadelphia when they go into Orlando. Yeah, and to add on that, I mean, the. I- there's a couple of pieces that I think you really need to focus on when we're playing Orlando. When you look at the team, it it starts with Nani and then uh, Daryl DK. Those are two really electric players for them this year that have really performed. And the reason that they have done so well and gotten to where they are is because Nani and DK have both like overperformed. Um, it's hard to say that Nani is overperforming, but you know, with his age, you still you expect a decline at some point, and you're not really seeing it. Uh, he has controlling uh the entire attack on that team and then daryl dk um you know coming from i think was it uh uva uh auburn with uh henry kessler they're both rookies this year and uh dk is lighting it up um 
And I think that he would have been a good shout for uh, Rookie of the Year over Henry Kessler. I'm not going to say he would have got it, but um, he's definitely a, definitely a talented uh, striker that we're going to have to have our hands full. And then, the, you know, they also have a lot of pace uh, that you have to worry about. Uh, players like Benji Michel that can really hurt you. So as we could bring a similar lineup to what we had tonight uh, where you have you know, the outside backs with pace, uh, Buchanan and Jones. I think that's going to really be useful and helpful. Uh, it's something that we're going to really need to contain um, a very, very strong attack. And to your point on on the goalkeepers too, I mean, are we going to see Pedro Galesi? Are we going to see Brian Rowe? Um, both keepers are very good. Obviously, Galesi is a much better goalkeeper. But even if we have Brian Rowe, he's still a very good shot stopper. And uh, an MLS veteran, you know, uh, so we shouldn't think that we're going to get any sort of uh, one up just because Brian Rowe is in net instead of Gillespie. Um, but that's my report. I'm I'm trying to quickly pull up uh, expected goals from goalkeepers to see uh, where where these two are and and if they're uh, very far apart. And I'm just not quick enough to do it, so I'm going to have to let you guys down on that one. Uh, but either way, that might be a, a very big miss for Orlando. But as you say, Brian Rowe is a very capable um, backup keeper, so it'll, it'll be an interesting game. We did get a question from JW on Twitter. He says, "How far can this team goes if they keep playing like they did tonight? I could see them making a deep run." We also got a question on Discord saying, "Is it coming home?" which I don't know if it's technically coming home if it's never been here before. Uh, but that's, you know, hey, you know, technicalities. But uh, either way, I mean, where are we in terms of the playoffs? The bracket is busted. Toronto's out. Uh, Philadelphia's out. It seems like the East is wide open. We got Orlando. We got Nashville. And now New England. Um, wide open East. Chris, what are your feelings? How far do you think this team can go? You don't want me to answer that because... You uh, want you I, got the Buxa jersey behind you. Buxa is going to lead us to glory. Say it. Say it, Chris. Buxa will lead us to Eastern Conference glory. Uh, I am not confident that the Revs can win MLS Cup this year. Uh, I think that the teams out West are very talented, the top teams. And uh, I think whomever makes it to MLS Cup from the West is going to win it. But I think that the Revs, I don't know why we can't make it to MLS Cup. And why can't we uh, shock the world and uh, or at least shock the United States, I guess. Yeah, Revs can make it to MLS Cup. I, I'm not confident that they can win the Cup. Um, I'd love to be wrong because six losses in MLS Cup is just too much. Too too much pain for one franchise, as they Sean, give me a little bit more of a, a, a rosier outlook here, please. Yeah, I mean, you look at the teams in the Eastern Conference that you know I thought the Revolution would have a very very difficult time beating, and that's the Philadelphia Union, who they've now beat. And Toronto FC, who, you know, on paper have probably the most talent in the East, even though they haven't always shown up this year, they still finished second. Um, Toronto got destroyed. I mean, they lost one nothing, but they were really outplayed by Nashville today um, and were knocked out. That was you know kind of a shocking result to me. And the fact that the, the two teams that to me were the most dangerous in the East are both out now. Um, I don't see any reason why, you know, the, the revolution are right in there with everybody else. Um, you know, I, I think Columbus is probably I would give Columbus the, the slight edge as the favorite um, in the Eastern Conference. Columbus has only lost one game at home all season. Uh, of course, Philadelphia hadn't lost any. Um, and Columbus, you know, now is the top remaining seed. We'll get to play home the rest of the way. Um, so, I, you know, if I'm if I'm handicapping the, the rest of the playoffs, I think Columbus is the favorite. Um, but I see no reason why the Revolution, who have you know been one of the best road teams in the league all year long and been a better road team than a home team, um, you know can't go into Orlando and, and pull off an upset there. Um, and I don't I don't think Columbus is unbeatable either. So uh, you know I think this Revs team is very much capable of going to MLS Cup. And you know we talked about it last week on the podcast or the last you know, less than a week ago I guess because it was a, a Tuesday game or a weekend game Friday game. I've lost track of this, these things. Uh, what what is time? <laughs> but we you know we talked about in the last show COVID is really rampaging um, a lot of the teams in the Western Conference. Uh, you know the Western Conference didn't have a you know particularly great year overall. None of the teams there, uh, you know, ran away with the league the way that Philadelphia did. Um, but, you know, and I, I agree with Chris that if the Revolution do get to MLS Cup, they're probably going to be facing a very good team from the Western Conference. But, you know, if there was ever a year um, for some craziness and the Revolution has an eighth seed to win it all, uh, this seems like the year. Um, a lot of the best players are, you know, have been getting hurt, have been getting COVID. So many wild 
crap is happening in the league this season um, that, you know, now that the revolution are past Philadelphia, which I think was the the biggest mountain for them to climb in the postseason, um, you know, I, I don't see a reason why, you know, they don't have just as much of a chance as anyone else at this point to, to go on and do something special. Yeah, and, you know, some people say that there might be an asterisk associated with the MLS Cup. <laughs> and I just want to say that those people, I, I disagree completely. I, uh, you know, I think fair is fair and we're all playing under the same rules. So if the Revs go to win the MLS Cup, there is no, you know, there's no asterisk. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there really quickly. And one more thing, too. Uh, Sean, you mentioned that Toronto got outplayed by Nashville pretty heavily. Um, and, and, and while that is an, a, a pretty big upset, and I was very shocked because Nashville should have won that game for nothing. Um, yeah. uh, Nashville is good. Do not sleep on Nashville. They have come on really, really strong in the second half. Um, they're really solid defensively. Like I, Their finishing was piss poor tonight. But that is, that is, you know, the Revs are a dangerous 8 seed. Nashville is a very dangerous 7 seed. I would not be shocked if they beat Columbus. Um, but I, I do want to add that uh, San Jose took uh, uh, Sporting Kansas City to penalty kicks. And that was almost an 8-1 upset as well. So, um, yeah, it, it is an absolutely crazy year. And anything can happen. And... and you know, if the Revs play like they did tonight, uh, Philadelphia had the best odds to win MLS Cup going into the playoffs. Uh, if we can beat Philadelphia like this, I don't see why we couldn't beat anyone else. So we did get one more question here. Uh, David, actually, we got a few more questions, but David Sibillian asks us, uh, how do you not pay Carly's heel at this point? Uh, we talked about Carly's heel's contract a little bit at the end of last episode. Um, I mean, you got to give him a blank chat, check and let him fill out the rest. Am I, am I right or am I right, Sean? Yeah, I mean, you, you do whatever it takes. To keep Carly Seal on this franchise, as I said earlier, he is uh, the most important player on this team, and I don't know, you know, if if the Revs lose Carly Seal, I don't know how you replace him. He's he's not, he's a, you know, it's very hard to find a number ten um, in MLS that's capable of doing what he does. So I, I, you know, whatever it takes, the Bob Kraft and the Revolution need to find a way to bring him back. Um, and you know, really quickly because we were talking about the Revs' chances, I see five thirty eight updated. Um, their chart post post the the revolution game now and the revolution they have has having a 42% chance to win in the next round and a 7% chance to go all the way and win MLS Cup, which isn't terrible, which gives them the the fifth the fifth best odds of the remaining teams, noting that there is a Seattle LAFC game going on right now that so there's there's still nine teams in there. Yeah, and let me tell you something 538 in the history of that website has never been wrong. So um... <laughs> no comment. I don't remember. I don't remember what the question was, but Chris, do you want to respond to? Oh, how do they not pick uh, Carly's heel? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's got to come back, right? Anything bad? Yeah, he absolutely has to come back. And uh, from what we've been hearing from the reports, uh, Carly's is very happy here. So this should be a relatively simple: open the checkbook. What do you want? Let's make it work. You know, how long? How long do you want to stay here? Because we'll keep you. You know, until until you're 33, 34, something like that. That sounds good to me. If we're talking about a lifetime contract, I think he's gonna get he's gonna get the first one. And and you know, yes. one person that that gets a lot of criticism, he still does, is Robert Kraft and how he doesn't invest in this team. And he's invested in three designated players. And I think that's kind of like the first, like, okay, you're you're getting there. I think the real first test with him is whether or not he is going to spend for a superstar. Because Carlos Hill when he came here was not a superstar. He is a superstar now. And I mean, he he there is no restraint. There's no TAM. Uh, there's no, you know, he is a designated player. You can pay him whatever you want. This is really a test for Robert Kraft and how serious he is about the revolution of, are you going to keep this person in New England? Because this is a guy that is going to win you games on the field. And to be honest with you, from a marketing perspective, this is the guy that you should be building around, you know, to bring in new fans. I mean, this is a guy that you want to see. Matt Turner is obviously like a great player, but I don't know how many new fans you're going to attract with a goalkeeper. I mean, Carly Seal is a name that I think you want the casual Boston sports fan to know in the next two to three years. Yeah, they they had Jermaine Jones, who was a super influential player, and they let him go. And it made sense because Jermaine Jones was an older guy at that time. Um, it, it turned out to be the right decision. He was aging. He, his, you know, injuries were beginning to affect him. Um, you know, he was, he was about to turn 35. Uh, you know, people were, some people were upset about that, but that was the right move. And, and now he's in a very, very different situation with Carles Hill, where Carles Hill just turned 28. He's 
very much in the prime of his career. He's got a lot of good years left, you know, assuming no more major injuries. Um, you know, he's a guy that the revolution, unless there's some team in Europe that, you know, unless Carlos Hill really wants to go back to Europe and there's a team out there uh, pressing hard to get him. And, and that ends up being the reason that he, you know, doesn't resign for the revs. Uh, you know, Bob Kraft better do whatever it takes to, to bring Carlos Hill back because this is a franchise player. This is a, you know, a guy that, takes can take the revolution the revolution can go as far as he can take him take them he's just so important to this team and again you, you have to i think you have to come up with a completely as we've seen this year when carlos heel has been out um it it doesn't really work what they're trying to do without him yeah absolutely and, and well said um we've got a couple of more questions not very serious questions though so we can blow through these really quickly uh friend of the program chris creighton says why does bruce yelling at people make me smile um you know, I, I thought Bruce was a little more humorous today. I think when Bruce in a good mood yelling is a lot better than Bruce in a bad mood yelling. Uh, but uh, any, any thoughts on Bruce Arena? He was, again, mic'd up today. Uh, any thoughts on Bruce uh, going crazy on the refs and DeJuan, and or Dewan Jones? That's going to be one of the few things that I miss when COVID's over. <laughs> yeah, the that, crowds that, drown him out. <laughs> that, that honestly, that's the, that is the one, the one good thing about, about uh, the COVID broadcast is you actually get to hear what the coaches are saying. Um, and it's, it's, it's hilarious. Um, and Bruce, for, for whatever reason, I, I don't recall hearing Jim Curtin very much. I don't know if that's because of mic placement or because Jim Curtin just doesn't talk as much. Uh, but Bruce Arena was uh, very vocal and you could hear everything he was saying and, and it was wonderful. And I think even the, even the, uh, the broadcast team was uh, cracking up and laughing at the things Bruce Arena was saying. So, uh, you know, it's not just it's not just Chris smiling when Bruce Arena is, is screaming into the mic. And uh, we got one more question here. Favorite memes from the playoffs so far? I don't know if you guys have an answer for this one, but I just want to qu- give a quick shout-out to Alex Dolan, another friend of the program who came well-prepared tonight, had a lot of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia memes ready to go, uh, and, of course, that final whistle uh, tweeted out the uh, It's Always Sunny music with the uh, caption, the gang beats Philly. So I think that one is the uh, gets top marks for me this weekend, or especially tonight. Uh, do you guys have any nominees uh, about memes uh, before we, we sign off tonight? I, I was I was enjoying the the Always Sunny ones you just referenced. I saw those. Um, unfortunately, I don't have a good answer to this one other than that. I I don't have any rev, uh, any other nominees for the for the revs, but uh, there's a there's a new meme coming around uh, for uh, what's his name Schlegel. The uh, Orlando City defender that became goalkeeper, and that fantastic pose that he had when he made yes. that save—that is probably my favorite image that has come out of the playoffs, at least. Um, and if it's not a meme, it has to become one. So. We will make it a meme. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I have I have seen that one everywhere. That one that one has been used to to good effect in a in a lot of different situations. The the one other meme that I want to give a shout out to, which um. It's also not revs or playoffs related, but it's soccer related. Is Yunus uh, Musa, um, the the, uh, the the player for the U.S. national team, the young guy who kind of made a surprise appearance for them in their in their recent games? Uh, DeAndre Hopkins tweeted out a picture of himself making that incredible catch against three Buffalo Bills defenders and asked for the best meme. And uh, a great one, Charlie Kennan responded with was uh, Musa being the football and DeAndre Hopkins being the USA. And then the Buffalo Bills defender being England, Ghana and Italy, who are the three other countries he's eligible to play for, but he chose the USA for that friendly. I thought that was a, that was one that, that entertained me, even though it was not Rev's playoff related. It's also not a meme, but I, uh, I just want to say too uh, that a Philadelphia fan was uh, very angry and tweeting at me after I pointed out that the Revs have more playoff wins in this postseason than Union do have in their entire franchise history. And uh, he said that we have no trophies. And I got to say the phrase, come back to me when you have a Super League, uh, son. Uh, so that that's my the highlight of my week. Uh, the, the little victory. Making Jake Catney's proud, too. <laughs> hey, you got, you got to throw this. We get Super League jokes all the time. When it works in our favors, we got to take advantage of it. So um, that pretty much wraps us up. Do we want to, I, I don't think we're going to have another podcast until after the Orlando game. So uh, how about, do you guys have a prediction for the Orlando game? Maybe a little bit too early. Chris, I'll go to you first. Uh, how are you feeling? Absolutely too early and uh, overconfident right now. Um, after seeing the performance the Revs put in tonight, uh, I think the Revs should go in and they should win. I think I think we're going to penalties. Um, I'll call it 2-2, uh, and we'll take it to penalties, and the Revs will win. It, it hope, hopefully it's uh, Brian Rowan goal and not there. There are multiple other people that played. Yeah, let's keep Schlegel out. We don't want him yeah. either. 
well, first of all, I, I, I think that this has got, probably got to be the first time in history, or at least the first time I can remember, that the Revolution have had two games on ABC in one season. That's kind of cool that uh, they have another game uh, just a few weeks after that Philly game on actual network TV on a Sunday. It's kind of that's kind of exciting and and cool. You you can watch this game with an antenna. You don't have to have cable. Um, but I think. Um, I, I think I'm also a little bit overconfident in the Revolution's ability after watching this game. Um, I think it's going to be a tight game with Orlando. I think Orlando is going to find the back of the net. Um, I think you know the set piece. I think the set piece problems the Revolution have might might do themselves in a bit against Orlando. But I think the Revolution come out on top, and I'm going to go with a high scoring three to two victory in this one. I'm going to give a a one one game, and I, I think it does go to extra time. And I'll say penalty kicks, and I think Matt Turner uh, proves his worth and, and comes through, and we go through on penalty kicks. So I'll, I'll side with Chris, but it should be a very very good game all the way around. Hopefully not twenty two minutes of penalty kicks. <laughs> Hopefully not twenty two minutes of penalty kicks with red cards. That that was also crazy because I wasn't home, so I was getting play by play from you, Sean. Which I mean, I couldn't imagine watching it, but it was doubly confusing hearing. You know, I was like, this, this doesn't make any sense. You know, I thought you were typing out something wrong or auto correcting, but no, you're you're describing it accurately. Well, and and I was watching it in Spanish, and I did take several years of Spanish, but I think I probably picked up about ten percent of what they were saying. So I was trying to figure out what the heck was going on without understanding the commentary, um, and then translate that over. And it was the most bizarre thing. I I didn't I, I didn't think period you could make a sub during during the shootout, um, I, but on top of that, they had already used all five subs. Um, it was one of the most in, insane. Well, I, I you know even by MLS standards, it was absolutely. Insane. I'd never seen anything like that. Um, I, and I think the referees did a terrible job, uh, but it made it quite entertaining, especially as a neutral. Sure did. Uh, we did get one question from James Downing. We got it uh, kind of towards the end of the podcast here, so I just wanted to throw out these comments. Uh, he says, I thought Teal provided a strong veteran presence uh, tonight, especially defensively. Um, he says, we need less fake crowd noise and more mic'd up Bruce, which I agree with 100%. And uh, why so much violence towards Scott Caldwell? Um <laughs> Uh, is it because he's so slow? <laughs> um, uh, I, I, well, I'm not going to, I think we've picked on Scott Caldwell's speed a little bit too much tonight, but I, I do want to add before we sign off that, uh, in case anyone missed, uh, Brad Knighton on outside the booth, uh, he did mention that he, they felt like Philadelphia was a little bit physical with them, uh, with Carly's heel in previous games in the regular season. And they were going to return the favor tonight. And boy, was it very chippy up until the final whistle. Uh, there was some chippiness between the two sides and I enjoyed it because it seemed like Philadelphia was a lot more upset about it than we were. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was certainly was a very, very physical battle. And unfortunately, Scott Caldwell was the victim to most of that. I, I do got to make one comment on Scott Caldwell's speed just because it hilariously came up uh, this week. My my wife is actually from Braintree and her brother actually played against Scott Caldwell. And she was commenting. I don't know. I don't remember why it came up. But she was commenting on how fast Scott Caldwell was and how it looked like he was all over the pitch and everywhere and probably the fastest person ever. And I had to tell her that he was like the slowest player in FIFA. Uh, unfortunately, but I just thought that was pretty random that that happened to come up this week. <laughs> yeah, not not a good sign for uh, your brother-in-law's agility. So. <laughs> uh, that that wraps us up uh, here today. Um, we'll, we'll call it a night. It's getting close to bedtime. It's 20 minutes to midnight. Um, Chris, any final thoughts, and where can people find you on social media? I just want to say uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Um, you know, that's coming up in two days, one day. I don't know what day it is anymore. And then, yeah, social media, you can find me uh, at Chris Valukas on Twitter. That's K-R-I-S-V-A-L-U-K-I-S. Uh, you can also find me. Uh, I do. I try to create Revs content on YouTube. Uh, it's been about a month or two now since I've done one. Uh, but you can find me, Revs Revolt. Uh, I'm also on Twitter there, at Revs Revolt. Search me, you'll find me, and uh, I would love to talk soccer with you. And you can find me at Sean L. Donahue on Twitter. You can follow us at Revolution Recap on Twitter, and you can also like our Revolution Recap Facebook page. The Revs will be back against Orlando as we previewed. I'm not sure if we have a date just yet, uh, but when we do... Sunday we'll at 3 p.m. Sunday at 3 p.m., so that means we will be doing a podcast Sunday evening around dinner time for you guys to have a podcast Monday morning to start your post-holiday, uh, post-Thanksgiving week uh, off right. Uh, that Monday after Thanksgiving is a killer, uh, but you can be relieved that you will have the soothing voices uh, of me and Sean and Chris if he wants to come back. So thank you everyone for listening and go refs.